doing my duty as facilitator. Um, thank you all very much for coming uh, to this discussion, small group discussion about ensembles. Um, I want to begin by acknowledging that we are meeting here on the land of the Wajok Mongar people, the traditional owners and custodians of this land, and that everything that we do and talk about rests on a solid foundation of tens of thousands of years of performance here on this ground. Um, is a flexible listening space, which means that people can feel free to move around or come and go or storm out <laughs> as, they, as they choose. Um, uh, I want to remind everyone that it's being recorded. <laughs> um, hopefully no one has any objections to that. I don't know what happens if they do, but um, you can participate accordingly. Well, it's too bad if they do that. You don't feel happy with the way you participated at the end. You don't want it to be. You can. <laughs> Give it an out to the world, just let us know. You can talk to us. You can talk to us. Oh, we can. Eat. Out to the section. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, is there anything else important I need to say? Uh, exits and toilets. Uh, exits and toilets. I'm going to assume that everyone knows toilets are downstairs. Exits are either out that door or down the stairs. Probably everyone knows that by now. And hi, how are you? It's great to see people from many different disciplines and aspects of the industry and um, job descriptions here in this discussion so that it can, we can get as many perspectives as possible. And I want to propose that we begin that um, with everyone who is here introducing themselves and maybe just briefly saying why you're here in relation to this conversation about ensembles, what they are, what they could be, what your experience is of being part of them, what really desires. Um, so I'm Alana Colberhouse, I'm the Executive Director of Co-Creek Contemporary Dance. Um, this is a really pertinent conversation for us at the moment because we're grappling with the idea between contract work and ensemble, and it's more about, I really want to hear what the sector wants because I feel like notions may change um, So, I'm glad that you're in the discussion with you. Different times you really want one, and other times you 
and that's also an ensemble where we work together and we work apart. And we also have an independent practice. Hi, I'm Helen. Hi, I work at the Arkham Bakery Theatre. Um, I was at Sydney Theatre Company when they brought in their actors ensemble of 12 artists, so that was quite something ago, so I could offer some insights of that. But I guess I'm interested in, um, I suppose, the closeness of an ensemble and what a different kind of ensemble might look like, um, particularly in the with the artists and the art forms and how we make work here. I'm Guy, I work with Sensorium Theatre. Back in the day, uh, straight out of drama school as an actor, I was in a, a, a company for two years at Fortune Theatre and I really felt as a, as a performer coming into the, the sector, that's where the pedagogy that I'd been working on at drama school really was my apprenticeship. So I really value ensembles. At Sensorium, we work with a whole, with particularly an ensemble, in terms of our practice, inclusive theatre practice. And I would really value it if we could engage um, more members of that company than ensemble. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm a core artist at the last great pump, which is an ensemble run company, and have an independent practice. Hi, I'm Sam. I just graduated from drama school um, and I've just started an ensemble company with three of my fellow graduates. So uh, I'm a theatre company, which I've always focused on physical theatre um, and the exploration between movement and dialogue. So, yeah, we're grappling with the beginnings of starting an ensemble based company. So, we're interested in hearing all about that.
So, so working in an ensemble way, to, to me, it's just such a precious thing. To me, it's one of the most precious ways that human beings can be together, is in, to create work together, to create um, artwork of some sort together, is the most precious. Otherwise, how are we together? We are sort of yeah, putting matches, shouting, and drinking. But um, <laughs> no wrong with that. There's no wrong with that. But it is a, to me, it's a very precious way of being together for, for us, the human species, to be together. Otherwise, just rather work with the animals and the birds. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us what the word means. <laughs> just by idea. Yeah, yeah, just introduce yourself and say why idea was. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm Noemi. Um, I'm here. I'm just really yeah, interested in. I really want to form a kind of
Not to get into the article. <laughs> 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 that's part of the, absolutely part of the discussion. Um, I'm Humphrey. Uh, I am an independent artist. I, um, I, I might just do my little spiel, my experience now, and yeah. then very much open it up, I think, because I do kind of have, you know, kind of an agenda on this topic, which I'm going to put on the table and ask it to be a neutral facilitator. Um, so I also started my social career as a member of an ensemble for about five years in Melbourne. Um, we actually called ourselves a collective um, in the 80s, about 85 to about 91. Um, we were between, probably, Flex were probably between five and eight of us, it kind of was floating. We did two or three shows a year, we got project funding, we uh, eventually got annual funding for one year. In that year we employed an administrator. <laughs> prior to that we were performers, we called ourselves writers, performers, devices basically. Um, we employed outside directors. Um, not always, but quite often, but they weren't actually members of the company. Uh, and we, um, and occasionally outside writers as well. Uh, and they were definitely the form, my, that was my formative experience as a performer and an artist, the, the sense of autonomy and empowerment, the degree to which I could develop my practice consistently with a group of people over years rather than just floating project to project. Mm. Um, and I have not had that experience again since. So I'm mm. really interested in this discussion, both from the point of view of, you know, at different points in career and like emerging artists who, for whom the idea of an ensemble might be a particular value, the times when that plateaus. But I'm also very interested in it from perspective of small to medium and even major um, performing arts companies um, because my sense is that, that that was a template and still is in some parts of the world but that it hasn't been a template for a long time that it's being tried that for me what an ensemble potentially gives artists is obviously some degree of um, predictability some degree of you know, economic and psychological security <laughs> um, that they don't have as freelancers. It gives them the opportunity artistically to continue to practice and develop that practice, um, especially as part of a group that is very difficult to do as a freelancer. Um, and that it has enormous artistic benefits as well, not just for those performers and, and artists generally, creatives as well, but for companies that a sense of a company's identity. Um, you know, I find it hard to imagine an orchestra or a band or even a dance company actually that isn't in some way centered on a core group of performers. Yeah. I just don't really know what that would mean. But it seems that in theater, which is where I work mostly, there's a sort of, that, that sense of a company has been lost uh, except for examples like Last Ray Khan or Back to Back or, you know, emerging groups and that the, 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 the nature of what a company is has changed to become a bit more, I hesitate to use the word corporate, but I'm going to use it anyway. And so I'm curious about how, for example, it might be possible that three or even four companies in Perth that are, that are small to medium or larger, like let's just say Black Swan, Buriak and 
spare parts and, and barking gecko, who are all I know struggling with, with funding and scale. Like what would happen if they had a core group of let's say even three or five core performers who were in let's say two or three shows a year that other performers came and went, because not everyone wants to be part of an ensemble at different points in their career, but how, how might that sort of model work? Um, would it be drastically more expensive than what we have now? And what might some of the advantages be? So that's kind of my little spiel. And now really, I'd just like to open the floor for anyone to chip in from any perspective. I've got, yeah, I, I think actually under Kate Cherry, if I worked under Kate Cherry Blackstone for four years, I think there was an, uns a, an unspoken ensemble, which was that she hired from the exact same pool of actors mm -hmm. again and again because she was familiar with them and therefore they were familiar with each other and they were already familiar with each other and they became known faces. And I wonder if there's this kind of. Yeah, I think we've been operating like that at Code 3 as well. You know, obviously, Mitch is a very recognisable face within our group, but what we've been grappling with is. Um, it's always a lack of funding. Um, because what, what do we actually do to keep the dancers active for the whole year? Particularly when from a dance company we don't have our own, you know, we, we work from one office, we don't have any physio, we don't have any we don't even have our own studio. So I think that's what we're grappling with is is how do we manage the dancers on for a for a year when we only work, we can only do a certain number of seasons because we're not at the stage yet to have, you know, like a black swan season or a ballet season. So, but, but there are current discussions. I feel like before COVID, and, and Mitch, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a sense within the dance sector that there was, to take up, no one wanted to be kind of bound to one company, you know, and to pick up opportunities to work with different choreographers and different, different contracts. So there was a sense of feeling that there probably wasn't the desire for that full-time commitment to an ensemble. But I, I, as I said before, I wonder if that's changed now, post-COVID, when all of that casual workforce, um, you know, I'd, I'd appreciate your comments around that. I think, from my understanding, I think it's similar to what a lot of people have said, once they graduate uni, people want an ensemble because once you, once you do leave, it's like, I still want to be practicing, I still want to be involved, and especially like Rach said for dancers, like the physical aspect is, is a huge part. Um, so I think, I personally, in terms of dance, there was always a need for one for ensemble, um, because I mean, now that, you know, Code 3, they're not doing as many seasons right now, so it's kind of doing a lot more other projects, that is, as a dancer, finding how you sustain a fitness over a year when, you're not employed in a year, and then coming into a project, maybe not as fit as you are, and therefore not be able to perform as well as you could, because you know that six weeks ago I just finished a show and I was, I was ready, I could have kept going, but there's no opportunity to keep going. Um, so I think, I'm not sure in terms of COVID situation, that has changed a lot, but I think for dancers, always will be in a want for an ensemble. It's kind of interesting that, sorry, to butt in, but um, that, you know, the cost of labour in the 1970s saw the end of um, theatre ensembles gradually over the next 20, 30 years. Um, 
and, but, and, and the, the case there was that, that um, you know, the gig economy could, you know, people could have a, a bunch of different things in their activity, you know, ads and films or what like, and, and we could pick from a pool of people. We didn't need, need to maintain a, a, a full-scale ensemble. Uh, for the cost has come uh, consistency of practice and consistency of, uh, of, of focus on theatrical line and the development of that a bunch, amongst a bunch of people. That's been the cost. Um, putting my sensorium hat on, where what we do is we create work uh, for children and young adults with, with um, disability. And there's, there's quite a distinct uh, form of practice that somehow combines uh, seeing those, those kids with the teaching artist um, sensibility with a whole bunch of other things that Frank and Michelle have put together with the ensemble. Um, so that leaves us really quite vulnerable in, in terms of how we can continue, continue to develop those artists and maybe we can't pay them enough to make a living. So, so therefore, you know, they're going to take those jobs and go on tour um, and they're not available. <laughs> I've heard it all So I, I work for Sensorium and, I had, and I'm also about to go on tour for the last great hunt and I had to turn yeah. down work for Sensorium going, I can't do one day a week. I'm you can't. Yeah, offered yeah, yeah, yeah. six and weeks in a row over here. Yeah. And it's, and and it's common with us as well. It's common with you. It's common with us with artists who work with spare parts as well and go on tour as well. And, and you know, so so it's interesting. How can we find a way to develop a conversation that um, that will establish a bigger idea that that can enable me and maybe some other organisations such as The Last Great Hunt or Spare Parts or Barking Gecko or White Co. to, to pull all those things together. Um, and it's kind of an interesting conversation to have because I think a case could be made. Uh, and it might be a way within this current climate, given that there is increasing interest in um, you know, the whole COVID situation, for us to, to find a way to pull those things together, but also maintain the artistic line and integrity of those companies without pulling apart. Um, so mm -hmm. what I'm hearing, different the perspective of different companies and different disciplines and forms of practice, there is actually kind of a desire for something like an ensemble, and that the issue is that you can't Basically, you can't you can't give you can't justify you can't give the artists enough work. Exactly, that, and that, that's what we face as well. Because um, okay, okay, you take the ballet for example. Yeah. So when they're not in season, they're still always in the room and they're rehearsing and they've got class. Mm. Like so, that they're in there and working every day. But we don't have facilities nor the resources to be able to provide that. So. There is a desire to have ensemble because it, it creates, you know, it, we really want to see job security. It really um, worried me a lot when in COVID and everyone lost lost their work. That deeply concerned me, and um, so there is that desire there. But but from 
from the other side is how do we keep it? You know, how, how do we keep? When when we only do three seasons a year. Yeah. And JobKeeper was a, a you know a fine yeah. thing that came along and enabled us to, in a small way to, to try where Rachel yeah. was on JobKeeper with us. Right. Um, so so therefore we were able to engage. We had six people five the end, five people on JobKeeper. So we're actually able to to continue to engage these artists and develop a whole bunch of other tools that that Centurion uh, was able to use with primary schools and, and the like, because we're, we, we're able to engage them with them two or three days a week and pay them um, when they weren't necessarily performing. And they were eligible for JobKeeper because they had worked consistently with the company for a sufficient period of time. Yes. I've already forgot what that was, but yeah. it, it basically excluded, because I mean, what the, the reason this conversation has come up again, at least for me, is that the, the this was even dramatically the case across the country. That what was exposed mm -hmm. by by Trover was that, that, that so few artists mm -hmm. were, were were regularly employed that, that they were able to get JobKeeper. So it, it, it deepened the divide between those who were able to still be employed by companies and, and artists to the point where you know the artists lost all their work, mm -hmm. and and that kind of started to highlight the absurdity of the situation. But in this case, it was possible. I mean, JobKeeper is interesting. They, they, they did it. They JobKeeper had to do a lot of. I don't, you were you weren't there when so Leah applied. Leah applied for the JobKeeper, and they had to do a lot of sort of looking at it. Um, and they managed to do it because it was the the level of consistency of work via a timetable, not the level of consistency of work full stop. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't weekly. It was like specifically. During term time, yeah. you are expected. You were expected that you would get at least one day a week for five weeks, and because of that, and because of also very weirdly the way that Victorian writes their contracts compared to some other people who write it, um, it was it was able to be. Uh, it was fully about you'd be employed by that company for like a sort of period of time. Yeah. yeah. So as to be eligible. Yeah. We, we managed to get five dancers yeah. on JobKeeper um, mm -hmm. through some very, you know, we, we have very sporadic contracts and, you know, you were, you, we got you on there, didn't yep. we? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, and I saw that level of, of um, you know, when, when the artist had that income, just I could see the pressure and that's sure. what yeah. got me back on, back on the thought of how can we maintain that. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting because, um, sorry, um, we, the last great hunt, um, we as artists in, the, in our ensemble, as kind of core artists of the company, were only paid project by project basis, including our developments, which was amazing, like we got 10 weeks of development pay, and then we were hired for individual projects and tours as well. But job, getting JobKeeper during COVID really illuminated the fact that we were not getting paid like regular yeah. salary wages. Yeah. And actually, as a result of being on JobKeeper and also getting some extra funding, we're now paying us, the core artists, up 0.6 kind of salary, um, 
which is the same as Joe Pepper was. Mm. So it um, changed the way our whole company kind of was structured and to pay the artists. Mm. Yes. And sort of that difference between being on the books versus like invoicing and it coming through on your ABM. Yeah. Like if it was seen to be on the books, then yeah, it's easier to kind of quantify and meet yeah. the criteria, whereas yeah. if it was yeah. going to come through invoice. Then you have to apply it as a sole trader. Sole trader. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Which means month trader. by month you have to demonstrate that you're yeah. earning less. Not seen as an employee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that's just coming out of this conversation, just on the, on the subject of JobKeeper, is whether JobKeeper is an interesting model. <laughs> like, well, it's kind of the model that we've kind of taken up for Right, us. but there's something yeah. about JobKeeper, <laughs> even though it didn't obviously cater for most artists, but it sounds like there were, there were companies that were able to use it, and some artists were able to benefit from it. And the mm-hmm. JobKeeper might be, could be an interesting, like, model for funding, actually. Can I also just say, though, the only reason we're able to pay us this year is because we've got a grant from Rise. Like, we've been able to afford to pay six of us our point six wage without that. Yeah, and yeah. it's only for two years, and then I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that when that money gets out. I mean, it won't be possible. I should think positively. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're this little... It feels like it's a two-year thing, and then we won't have money to do it anymore. Mm. So there's that. It's also another thing to mention is that um, I think ensembles can work in many different ways. For instance, when I was part of the Hobbit Ensemble at Blackburn, <coughs> it was like a year-long engagement, but you were only engaged for two shows, two productions, um, and you were only paid for the rehearsal presentation of those productions. And then there were, you know, like training workshops and things that would happen in between that you were not paid for. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a regular wage. I was part of that ensemble, but I got paid for two projects, which is another interesting way of doing it. Also, our gatherers collected our emerging it's working so they're doing 18 workshops across the year, um, like kind of once a week, and they're getting paid for those workshops. But again, it's not like a, <laughs> it's not like a full-time wage or anything. It's just getting paid for a one day a week engagement. Which is an interesting comment. So what I'm hearing. So then how how does that I define ensemble as full-time employment? So how does that having an ensemble if you're just on part-time or contract-based And we're not even on full-time. Yeah. Like, the core artists, like, we can't yeah. afford that. So, yeah. I mean, part of my argument would be that ensemble is not full-time. Yeah, I mean, that's not saying that we work full-time, because we do. Um, but, yeah. yeah. And, and the people that are doing or trying to attempt this ensemble model are usually second-tier or Um, <laughs> <laughs> it got a little tense. Um, 
But I think there's something interesting about how that then didn't, there wasn't like people coming in and out of that ensemble. And I think that was something to take out of that. And um, I suppose when I'm listening to this conversation, I'm hearing two kind of ideas that, that are competing. But one of them is um, I think that a, a baseline wage, whatever that is, 0 0.2, 0 0.6, 0 0.8, that sense, I think what we're talking about is stability and that artists can have stability. And, um, and that we as um, arts workers um, commit to, to people for two years or whatever that shape that is. Because, and then I hear this idea often about, well, if we're employing people full time, they've got to be working full time on everything all the time. And so you'll rehearse today and you'll do a workshop the next day. How are we filling that time? And within that conversation, I think one of the opportunities of an ensemble is that um, artists, can come together and it's about space and um, it's a space for unexpected things to happen and that then benefits us all but that the space might not be you know overloaded with KPIs and all that sort of crap. Um, I think that's a real benefit to the ensembles and how we then have that and then I sort of think in my head I sort of sit alongside um, you know, I think of Bill Shakespeare in the early days when they performed and then they children and they did stuff in schools at the daytimes and stuff at night times. You know. I think a lot about, you know, if there was the space um, to make work with rigour and that's interesting and artists will figure that out because they do, um, ideally we get to a point where we've got um, some fantastic repertoire work and that's where people can come in and be working and touring. So you're generating activity, if you like. Um, because you've got content, but um, and so I sort of see the potential of an ensemble idea, whatever form that's useful for artists as well, um, as a bit of a bridging thing over the next kind of five years, where it's like, all right, well, if we actually start a whole bunch of artists on, and what we're talking about is putting a plank under artists so they can stand on it and just think for a little bit and focus on what it is you want to do instead of doing five things, I mean, Libby's a superwoman, but you know, sometimes you're doing seven things in a week with seven different people, and that's a big thing to carry, to get through. Um, yeah, so that's what I think about ensemble as well. Like, SGC model was good, it was expensive, it was funded. I'd also suggest that maybe um, sometimes the audience got a bit sick of saying the same places. Um, and I think sometimes where the ensemble worked well was when they were working on new work ideas that became you know sparky and messy and interesting um, otherwise they were just doing big repertoire works in the canon and that was a bit like oh well it's a nice dream yay it's interesting to hear you talk about this because immediately when when we talk you know on up it was like oh what if the main stage companies you know second to you know um uh, had a had an ensemble I was immediately like oh but and, you know artists who are trying to um, get in, or just even the career artists who never had the opportunity to be on main stage. You, you kind of, it's an opportunity cost, like you, you invest in, in some really awesome artists who get this amazing opportunity, but then um, a portion of the community misses out, but, but, but hearing you talk about, you know, it has a long game in terms of, um, like you're putting that in, you're generating content, <coughs> you know, a little, yeah, more sustainable way of, so. Because things get better over a couple. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
extraordinary to watch that. Feels like 10 years. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've just aged the world. Feels like 20. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a beautiful pleasure to see, you know, the work coming through and change. And, and I could hear Fran didn't just be this, I mean, we, we actually do what you've been talking about, which is like the shows generated then go on and recast yeah. with other people and yeah. tour around. You're generating work for others. Yes, yeah. well, we, we also, um, yeah. just not to like see him talk about how great we are, but um, we, <laughs> we, we also don't have a, it's not every hunt in every show, and we also have guests on every show, so yeah. like, there's not the. Um, the boredom of our faces again and again. Where, yeah, yeah. Like the, the STC ensemble was, um, we also still get along all these years on, like mm -hmm. they were put together by someone else, I believe, and so like they're an arbitrary group of people where the company selects the ensemble, they're not like, they're not brought, they weren't brought together by a shared um, artistic or creative vision, they were brought together by a shared desire to be employed actors in Sydney for two years. And that was the, the goal, I think, mm, yeah. where, over time. Um, you know, it was a curatorial kind of process. Yeah. And, so so and that's yeah. interesting to, to listen to, like, we were talking about an ensemble model, you know, which can exist throughout the different tiers of, in, in the sector, and it's like whether the most successful model was born from the independent level, or like, you know, curated from a main stage level. I mean, there are ways you can offset the, the pros and cons of each, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just speaking that way. Totally, and it also feels like this, that there are many models, and the models depend on on the company, on the group, on the, on the where you are in your career, on the art form. But there does seem to be there are some common themes emerging, like around some degree of stability or security or predictability, some degree. Around, I would say, some degree of autonomy for the artists, like being able to create within a creative space that, that comes from that, and that arguably the SDC ensemble did have that degree of autonomy, you know, they, you know, from they went from show to show, they didn't have, I'm not aware of them having a lot of voice when it came to what they actually did, mm -hmm. which may affect the longevity and success of the model. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right, it's about learning from below, like learning from the grassroots model, yeah. which is how we all start. Yeah. <laughs> We're full of enthusiasm and energy and creativity, and what happens to that, and how, how can we, you know, Changes. How, how can that continue and shape into larger structures? Yeah, it's also really interesting, like seeing that if it is going to be born from the independent level, then of, you know we've really been talking about funding and and just the way that funding and application rounds kind of work is like it is so short term. Whereas well, I know like in different, um, I don't know different. Yeah, I'm I'm still quite emerging as well, so I'm still learning about these things. But there, you know the different the kinds of the models of funding different places where it's more long term for a collective to form and then fund off, you know, a couple of projects for longer, which is what gives you that sense of It's quite a real issue, I think, around our funding models where you're either funded to do a project or you're slightly kind of half of company, so you don't really have much to do much beyond, you know, keeping the photocopy you're running if you're lucky. And I think what's not funded is spaces for artists to come together and explore and make But again, it's that thing where you kind of you're constantly running to an outcome, and I think it needs to be dialed back a little bit because the ensemble could be an opportunity for artists to even just to get to know each other and practice. 
black bodies, black stories, you know, then just it makes me wonder then how much um, how much uh, voice do artists have in terms of what what mm -hmm. what what's, what's, what um, what uh, stories are considered to be told, and then, and having worked with the last Africans, I've, I've been so blessed with how democratic their process is. That it's, it's a conversation, and we, I really feel like I'm, I come on board as an artist that's valued and has a voice, and I don't feel like an employee, even though they are still employed by them. But but <laughs> you're, you're you're welcome as an artist, and that's mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it depends on like what that company is, what their kind of grandia is. You know, ours is to create new work, so there is space for artists to come in and collaborate. Whereas some others won't just dig them in because they're not here. But Black Swan are there to more do traditional kind of theatre work, and that's their place in the industry. So. Mm -hmm. Also, like the, the issue of like questions of diversity or inclusivity, an ensemble can be a way of actually embedding that mm -hmm. into the structure of a company yeah. in a way that's theater. possible to do. I think Queens and Theatre have had an ensemble for two years or something, and, and they've at least six out or something. The Bois have put an ensemble together with the yes. prize funding yeah. that they got. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I'd love that. Does anyone have any? about how that's been working out so far. I, I think it's the Sydney oh, so Theatre Company model. I think yeah. you should come to the, um, the panel on Thursday because so yeah. far it's, it's one of the three panellists um, talking about that new ensemble and, and, and a new way of working. I think that, I think that the, in, in some ways both could work together, I suppose, as independent arts in this hub putting this question up. I feel like potentially what we're more interested in Potentially, what people are more interested in talking about is is the version of yeah. the last great hunt model, mm. or or the sensorium model. Actually, both both of those is quite similar. Um, the artist-driven uh, company like Black Swan or Black Echo or Co. Three. I mean, that those artistic directors are there to make decisions about their program for an audience. So those. Those programs are set 18 months in advance, three years in advance. I mean, we have to put forward three years of programming. However, you know, that can be really fantastic training ground, like, like it was for me when I first came out. And, and I actually learned a, a practice. And, um, and I think that's definitely something missing now, that people just actually don't have an ongoing practice where they learn to manage their body and manage their time and manage workload ongoing, show to show where you're learning a craft, that can still you know, be really helpful then to having potentially an ensemble that's artistic driven together, which you would need quite a lot of potential craft practice to go into that. And the, the questions around representation and diversity of, of personnel or programming apply to larger companies as well. I mean, they do increasingly about repertoire and about and about employment. The, the, the difference with an ensemble model is that you're actually offering diverse artists a, a, a degree of regularity in their work and in their practice and in their craft that is otherwise not the case. If it's just project by project, then it's actually you know diversity and inclusivity from moment to moment, or you know for one gig, 
but not not on an inconsistent way. So I feel like the two could come work together. I'm just thinking as well for um, in contemporary dance too, the sort of the consistency over the period of time of being part of an ensemble in terms of developing independent choreographic practice and how you know like being part of an ensemble, you know, like there's many great examples of you know kind of choreographers coming to the fore as a result of sort of participating and being part of an ensemble sort of dance model. Um, and, then, and I was thinking like, it would be great to kind of like the things that kind of worked and the things that didn't work. Mm. Like it sounds like you know there, there wasn't a lot of uh, say allowed like space made for the actors. Yeah so they didn't they didn't have a lot of input into it. And it sounds like, you know, it came to, like, as a sort of time period, it kind of came to its natural end. Yeah. Um, so I think there's sort of like a timeline, perhaps, on it. Well, you know, and it, it, if you're going to kind of do it over a number of years, there needs to be a bit of a progression or kind of perhaps development in the journey of that over several years. Um, and, and also kind of making, like, allowing for input from the ensemble. Um, not necessarily just... One of the things that I think the of us struggle with is Luke's the only artist kind of, I mean, you know, Sean and that's there as well, but we've only got one artist. Yeah. And it's not, it just doesn't feel right, you know, mm -hmm. as a company. And I think there's a there's a value in kind of having artists around mm -hmm. um, for conversation, for kind of staff, the mm -hmm. messy, ambiguous staff. Um, I, think, I think we're... I get most excited about on someone's is um, around the new work stuff. Mm. This is where my little producing brain goes, all right, well, how do you balance out the new work with yeah, the stuff that you might have to do or the touring repertoire um, to try and get that balance happening? Um, I, I think to have a, a full time ensemble take a 48 weeks a year and you do one show for three weeks at the state is probably not going to work for us. Um, but I think there's a there is a, it's an overused word, but there is a synergy that people are just working together for a while. Mm -hmm. And you guys are pretty much a good place to say that. It's an interesting mm -hmm. point that you raised, Jen, about the progression. I think, again, Mitch is a really good example. Mm -hmm. Thinking about and listening to the conversation, Raven has always worked with a consistent handful of dancers, which could be defined as an ensemble, but what is lacking there in my definition of ensemble is the consistent pay. Um, so, you know, she'd been working with, uh, you know, Mitch and Russell from the start, and now Mitch is starting to develop his own choreographic practice. So, and you can see in the studio, the dancers that have, that have worked together, how well they work together, and actually really help the younger dancers come up in Raywin's mythologies of how she works. That was really evident through archives, which is fascinating to see. So, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you look at the ensemble of working consistent, you know, the model of working with people consistently, that's what we're doing. We just can't have, we just don't have budget to, 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 to consistency of paying off. Yeah, with that. Oh, like, Shared values or these common goals or 
this shared vision of what we want our work in the world and our way of working to be. And um, I think it could be worth like looking at examples outside of the arts. Because I think there's a lot of exciting conversations happening around like that we live in a fundamentally flawed economic system. Um, and, and you know that like lots of people are thinking about what if we are in a company where everyone is paid the same amount, no matter what you do, for example, or you know, like this great economy, you know, like there's all these cool um, like conversations that I think if we look outside of just like what is happening in the arts in Australia, but like, you know, if we look to like the super company or we look overseas at other artists, but also look outside of art, look at science and business and and then we could kind of, yeah, because otherwise I feel like we can just get so bogged down to just like, yeah, the funding's really bad, oh yeah. And that is like so true, but I think there is also opportunity for thinking about how, if there is an ensemble, they can also radically shift the power structures like of, of the way we do. How can we work more effectively as opposed to efficiently? I mean, I feel like we, the arts, has become, the, you know, the gig economy. <laughs> we, we were kind of the canaries in the coal mine, in a way. I mean, the very term gig economy almost suggests that it has its origin in the arts, in a way, in performance. And now the entire economy is about individuals, you know, seeking work from one place or another. And I mean, it, it, COVID demonstrated the catastrophic results of that in nursing homes. When, because, because of workers, Nursing homes were, were gig workers. Mm. It, it led to a, you know hundreds of people. I mean, you know thousands, but in Melbourne, hundreds of people got died in a very short space of time. And the reason for that was the gig economy. That wouldn't have happened if those workers had been members of ensembles in particular places. And there is something about the obsession with so-called efficiency that's led to something that might look efficient, but it's not actually effective. It doesn't actually deliver health. It doesn't actually deliver good art either. Well, like, if we say that, oh, we can't pay artists, but we can pay administrators, or, I don't know, I kind of wonder, like, if we're all paid the same amount, or, you know, and being artists mm. would be cool, but... Mm. Yeah, well, that's what Belfast Street had that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Belfast Street's a good example from where to go of, a, of, a, of an artist-led initiative that, that maintained an alternative model and actually did have at least a de facto ensemble for quite a while, company there. Yeah, so it's like this, yeah, you've got to think about it from 
goes on that has to keep those wheels turning to enable that art to get to the stage. I think it's important though, like how kind of famous the Senate board meeting wants that no one gave a standing ovation to a business plan ever. No. And I think there's, I do feel that there has been a, a shift towards um, impact measurement, evaluation, yeah. case analysis. And we're not actually talking about the things that really matter in terms of bigger companies or making companies. We've lost that dialogue and we're starting to go, oh, where are the others on the board and stuff? There's a feeling, mm. I think, in a lot of, um, I was just at APAN in Adelaide and we were talking about this idea a little bit about, you need both, like you need to be able to do both. It's just, the balance feels a bit off at the moment. Um, and I think COVID has exacerbated that because the artist is off to the page. Um, like you're saying, um, so re rewriting that a little bit, I think the idea of, you know, maybe there is a, you know, Arbitrary unit on an ensemble, and there's 30 artists in WA, and there's eight stipends, and there's a way that they can come in and out of companies. And we work out the structures and the bass. Um, but, but again, I, I just feel that I look around, or where are the spaces? And that's why this initiative, I think, is going to make up firework because we need places for people to. You mean literal physical spaces? Time and mental space <laughs> to just sit and talk about other stuff as well as a physical so we can always find a space um, but and, a, and, a, and an initiative as well like you know with some yeah, sort of structure, a frame, I think a framework frame frame frame. to it so that you know there's a sort of uh, a perimeter to what people are coming into mm. um, some kind of scaffolding that's underpinned by a stable wage And the, the core of it is underpinned by the stable wage, you know, which is the illustration that for us that Joel Keeper gave us. And, you know, people are thinking and aligning that with universal basic income and the like, and thinking, okay, what's, if we had that, what sort of freedom would it give artists to balance each other? And, you know, so that, that's kind of interesting. As an arts manager, what it also gives us is, is freedom to develop kind of different layers of engagement. You know, um, so yeah, we're able to do a teachers' resource kit, which is amazing, and you know, we've been asked to do a digital version of Wish, hybrid version of Wish. You know, we can only do that with if we've got a whole bunch of people that we can engage in our work. Mm. tricky to be on a little bit. Um, 
because I was also trying to balance um, time that I felt like I needed to give to the story and then other work that happened. But the stable, however many days tag JobKeeper was, was incredible. And it did actually, like, I found a great way to make it work in terms of being like, okay, great, because it wasn't actually, because I didn't actually need a full-time wage because I do jump between companies and I do jump between projects and I think what makes part of my great skill as an artist and what I can bring to Sensorium is the stuff that I learnt over when I was packing suitcases for the last great hunt and Ariel taught me how to pack suitcases brilliantly. <laughs> like that, that exchange between, like your artists are your exchange between your companies as well. And that is so valuable. So while you want something that works well for JobKeeper for me was being paid two days a week and then sometimes I'd be doing the equivalent of what that work was earlier, so that then I could free myself up to, like I did my own creative development. Was like, sorry, sorry, I'm not talking to you guys for three weeks, but here's all the pre-work that I did that sort of went that three weeks that was work. I think we need to stabilise our workforce. Like, if you want to talk about the money that's invested in companies and all that sort of stuff. Where I know that we're losing stuff, We've just gone, I'm out. Like, too hard at the arts, too hard at the We've got artists that have relocated um, back into to other parts. So I think there's a really important moment and argument for stabilising our artists in Perth. And if it's an ensemble, we call it an ensemble or a collective or whatever, but there is some kind of mechanism where we go, look, you know, I, I think that's important, you know, to say, look, um, because there's no way that because there is no the workforce out there for us to do that at the moment on a regular basis, um, whether it's working in schools or touring or, or whatever. Um, and so my, one of the arguments, and I think we all get the artistic argument, but I think there is actually a state argument around stabilising, enabling, growing a, a base load of power, like the big hoo-ha, there's 30 people there ready to go, that idea and your idea of saying that's how the companies are connected, I really love that phrase. Um, that needs to happen because if it doesn't happen, we're all just, you can't, I can't go out and commit to a 10 week tour on a show very soon because I'm not sure that those artists are going to be there. It's no, as soon mean, as that. Do you mean like all companies, for example, commit to employing a certain number of, is that artists um, like as a, as a collective or? I'm not sure, but I do think that there needs to be a cohort of artists that are paid and there's some kind of scaffolding that enables new work and creative enrichment alongside them and able to perform and actually do what needs to be done, whether it's tours or a repertoire or... And potentially from the structures that exist? I like think that we would come up with a structure yeah. that's useful for this. Kind of why this sporadic kind of I'm employed now and I'm employed, it kind of works for me in a way because 
have that downtime to shave in last time you figure that out once once Peter has 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 a, a different routine and schedule. But it's often time that I have to fit into a model that's already set in place for me as an artist, um, not considering that I have I don't Clement speaking as the only parent here for the again kids, but even just going home to learn lines at the end, like I've, I've got other things to do <laughs> on top of all these other things and it might look like my work is shoddy or that I'm not quite, you know, there, but it's just that these are the things that I'm, we can't, um, two days ago, two days ago we had a, a, a mother's homemade uh, forum here, and just about how the, the world, the artistic world isn't, doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't look after parents, um, uh, artist parents, you know, and even the idea of being able to bring your kids to rehearsal, even though that's not ideal, but just to know that at the drop of a hat you might need to go and attempt something and kind of be late for the kids. this to be, to, if we want this to happen, we need a big idea, 
pull it from the state government and out of funders, but it should not just come from the app villages. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It needs to be. Yeah. It needs we'll to write it, but you have to come up with ideas. <laughs> but, but it needs to be kind of artist. That's yeah. going to be the core of it, particularly when we think Rachel, you know, the connection between the companies yeah. is from the artists, right? Yeah. Working across all of us, you know, including Uberaro, just all across, as well as your own practice. So you need to, to, to have room for your own practice within the ability to, so there needs to be some space in there for the ensemble members to come together and say, hey, we want to really want to make this show. We're going to go away for a while and come out this show because we've been bouncing off each other in the, in the room. And it needs to include different food, uh, different artists and different needs in terms of time, in terms of family commitments, in terms of art forms even. And that has to be... It can't just be a cookie cup cookie cup a bowl that's the same for everyone. It can't otherwise it won't work. It has to be a different model. Exactly, it can't be interchangeable. It's not about everyone being interchangeable. Actually at the moment what we have is square ones interchangeable. <laughs> that's the problem. So this could be a way of actually allowing for Um, or do we work like half days every day of the week, you know, 
full work week. So we're not really talking about full-time five days. We're not talking about the old no, the other model. We're talking about something that is Why we have universities and that's why mm -hmm. we have 
yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars are going to Telecom Critical Institute. You must provide people with spaces in which to explore um, new ideas and test things. It's the R&D happens in every industry, yeah. but it doesn't happen enough in the arts, and I think it's to the detriment of the sector. So I'd be really keen to um, yeah. support that narrative, because yeah. it's not that it's not a bunch of us having a lovely, lovely out of party time, jolly wrestling. This is serious business. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about the difference between investing in artists and projects, actually, but investing in artists more rather than investing in product. Yeah, it's like, so why don't we invest in mental health programs for our athletes? They're really good at running. Like, it's, it's that thing of Bale Haley in it, that there's a, a conversation. But I, I would also support that narrative mm -hmm. as well, Karen, mm -hmm. because the one thing um, from archives is the investment of time. So, it's, you know, we're so having to focus on output, output, output all time. That work would not work, would not have been what it was if the, the amount of time was dedicated in there. So, you know, I'm, I want to start talking more about the department and my funding applications. It's not just about the output, it's about that time. I feel like we all want yeah. to continue this conversation. Yeah. I feel like there's a, there's a space for a task force, actually. Task which is, force? Which is a combination of, which is, has artists and um, other theatre workers, <laughs> other performing arts workers, whatever job description, involved in that task force, task force. And it sounds like we all kind of want... We're, 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 it's in everyone's interests, no matter where we work, on what scale, on what level, what job description that this conversation continues and is able to articulate a model or models directly to, to, to government. Even like to be starting like a bit of a list of like the ideas, the ideas that kind of work, like what, what this could, like this is what we know has worked. Yeah. As, you know, based on this discussion and even like if there were four hands willing to kind of and what can work here for, for, you know, for WA specifically because um, it isn't specific yeah. ecology, it's not the same as Sydney yeah. at all. And I don't know that, like, mm -hmm. I think it would be to the Friday debrief, mm -hmm. you know, um, which, so we're doing a debrief um, being facilitated by Alex and Shona Erskine on Friday afternoon. Um, we're going to try and come up with um, things that we would sort of take to DCA, things that we'd take to orgs, and things that we would like to do ourselves as artists, mm -hmm. kind of actions that we'd like to see happen in the next year. Mm -hmm. So this is something that we could, we're too thinking for DCA, we'll come to you with four things. Surprise! <laughs> we'll come to you with four things. Um, so this might be one of those things. We're going to talk about that and tip that up. But I think it'd be great. I think it needs to be an org and artist thing. I think yeah. we know that that's what needs to happen in all things at the moment. So yeah. I think this is definitely one of those things we can put into that mix. But particularly around the kind of ensemble conversation, like, you know, just a bit of a kind of, sh I don't know, like a short list of the, mm. the do's and don'ts, you know, like, because um, yeah. uh, then it might be interesting to bring into the Friday
you'll see in this conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. Thanks everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.